wonderful service here this morning in, in service to our Lord. So uh, maybe that's a great place to, to start my, my question this morning. What does it actually take to be a human being? What are human beings, truly, true human beings, what are they made of? I heard of a uh, survey that was done uh, interviewing uh, grade, uh, no, not grade, but age, eight and nine-year-old boys and girls. Eight and nine-year-old boys and girls. And they were asked the question, what are mothers made of? And this one eight-year-old girl, she said, uh, mothers are made of angel wings and clouds and string, and a little bit of mean. <laughs> I thought that was so cool, um, just how she could imagine and think in categories like that. Um, what is particularly distinct about being human? How does Scripture describe being human? How would you describe being human? What comes to mind immediately when you think about it? Maybe uh, you're thinking, well, uh, our bodies, you know, arms or legs or being upright, um, our faculty. Maybe uh, you're thinking, well, the fact that we can think and feel, that we have a will, our spirits. What comes to mind pretty readily when we think of what it means to be human are these external descriptors. It is actually how we relate to each other. Primarily, we relate to each other by looking at external uh, uh, features, and then we essentially relate to each other based on that. An example is um, this matter of race. Race is actually a human construct. It is a social construct that was developed by human beings in social relationship with each other. One group of people had a sense that they were superior to another group of people. And so they developed, they began to develop descriptions and differences and put those in categories of race, which led to segregation and separation. How do you describe being human. What does it actually mean? Is it about uh, these kind of uh, uh, factors? You, we know um, God's aim. God's aim is uh, to bring uh, human beings together. His aim is togetherness. His aim is family and community. His aim is to bring um, reconciliation among uh, people and with himself. Not segregation or separation. This is the, the essence of the gospel. The good news. It is both good and it is news that is worthy of proclaiming. Because what he has done is he has already, in God's view, he has already reconciled all of humanity to himself. He has made peace with humankind. And he has, by way of Jesus and the cross, he has taken down and demolished any uh, hostility or, or, or differences that would be there among human beings. 
And yet, we recognize that animosity and conflict still exists between human beings. And so that is then due to and because of spiritual forces of wickedness. And a, a human uh, a frailty, a human nature that is corrupt or broken. That is not actually what it means to be human. Paul, writing in this letter to the Ephesians, which we are going through, wrote specifically to the Gentiles, all the nations, that's short form for all the nations, to all the nations, the Gentiles, who were gathered together in this church, this new church in Ephesus. It was specifically written to them. Oh, but certainly the Jews were in hearing distance and reading distance of this, so it was for them as well. And what Paul is doing when he is writing this section is he is wanting the people in the church to have a clear and Christ-like understanding of what it means to be human. What does the Scripture say? What does the Lord say? What does it mean to be human? And you see, Jews could have felt superior to the rest of the nations. They could have felt superior to uh, the Gentiles because, after all, God had chosen them first. They were essentially the first chosen ones. They were the incumbent. And when a, a people group is in that position, when a people group is in the position of being the incumbent or being first, there is an, a tendency or an inclination for that people group to establish themselves and think that they are now the standard by which everyone else is measured and must be measured. That they are the, in this case, the perfect human, and that all others must be measured against that. And so, as an example, um, w those of us that are, are, are white and come from a Western European uh, uh, background that are living in North America, living in, in southern Manitoba, we too can have that tendency to think that because we are here, that we are the incumbent, that um, we are the standard by which other people are measured. And so, for example, we give very little um, thought to our own ethnicities. When we see other people from other countries, we might ask them for what is their ethnic background, but we spend little time actually understanding our own, which is a subtle way of, of a posture where we are the standard. So when Paul is writing, he could also be thinking, well, maybe the Gentiles, as he's writing, what does it mean to be human? Maybe the Gentiles are thinking they are superior. The nations are superior because now they recognize, well, the Jews were picked first, but now the Gentiles are also included. And so maybe the Gentiles could think that they're superior because now they're added. It's like God had to call in reinforcements, so now he's including all of the nations. Or maybe the church in Ephesus could develop a superiority. Christians are superior to non-Christians. Or people who go to church are superior to... And, and all of this are ways of establishing or thinking about what does it mean to be human. Or what does it mean to be more human or superhuman or more superior in human, humanness. Jesus in John 4, uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John, talks about being born again. Becoming a new person. 
And then scriptures replete with these um, uh, discussions of being a new creation and being a new person. But what does this mean? What is it actually, what is this new person made of? What does it mean to be human? And in the earlier section, when we were uh, going through the earlier section of Paul's letter Um, In the previous weeks, we were understanding what it means to be the church. And now in this section, he's going to discuss what does it mean to be human. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason. And he just talked about the gospel and being a servant of the gospel, being a deacon of the gospel. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And um, I want to pause there uh, for a moment when we're going to hear Paul praying. He's praying, writing his prayer. And when he says, for this reason, I bow my knees, I think we sometimes domesticate all of these things and we think, you know, of a sort of a a nice little prayer or something. But most likely, uh, understanding what Paul was doing when he prays and bowing his knee, most likely he was probably prostrate. He was probably uh, down, not just on a knee or on both knees. He was probably down on his hands and knees as he was praying. And so I want to invite you this morning. Where you are right now is is holy ground because the Holy Spirit is there. We are connected together. And I want to invite you this morning. You know, if we were in the sanctuary, I might have us um, uh, turn around and kneel on the chairs or do something like that, facing the chairs and kneel as we pray together. I want to invite you this morning, if you're willing to do that, um, if you can put a pillow down or a cushion down and, and kneel as we do this, or if you have space and, and you can get prostrate, I invite you to do that. Just listen to this. As we pray, as you hear Paul praying, pray along with him. I'm going to read what he's praying and just be physical here and just go ahead. They're doing it here in the sanctuary. I invite you at home. Let's do this. Pray along with Paul. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power through His Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As you are being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen and amen. Amen. Oh, that's so rich. Paul is praying for your innards. He's praying for your insides. He's praying for your inner being. When, when you read the word uh, heart here, it, it, 
it never means in the New Testament, uh, it never means here when Paul's using it, it, it never means the actual physical uh, body part. Heart here means the, the area of our inner being, uh, our volition, our will, our mind, our, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has totally put this together this morning. Because Laura's uh, uh, message there with the children is from Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5, 16. I'm pretty sure that's what it's from. Jesus, in the sermon that Matthew records in chapters 5 to 7, Jesus spends a great deal of time talking about the inner person, the inner being. And Paul says, I pray that you will be rooted and grounded. And that gives me this uh, sense of a, a imagery of a tree. This imagery of a tree. And then I, I was recalling already this, this image uh, of a tree. I mean, it's, it's there throughout Scripture. I, I drop into Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, who trust in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green in the year of drought. It is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. It reminds me, when he says rooted and grounded, it reminds me of, 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 a, of a tree. I didn't think I was going to need Kleenex this morning. Uh, yeah, lesson learned. Uh, I have a tree in my office here at the church. And we have a large tree in, uh, in our living room at home. And it's always fascinated me that this big pot, and we would take water, and how we would pour it into the pot, and that would then give life to the tree. That the roots, so I'm pouring water into the pot. The roots somehow are able to draw that water in and into the tree. Water from the tap is giving life to the tree, this 10-foot tree, as I pour it into the ground. As long as its roots are there and it stays in the earth and grounded in the earth, that tree grows. This is the imagery. And what is specifically the the water, if you will, that Paul is talking about. He's saying, I want you people to be like a tree that is rooted and grounded. But what is he filling it with? What is he filling it with is the love of God. Christ's love. Agape. This affection. And here's the thing is that agape is the very attitude and direction Again, Garth talking about for God so loved. We get from the very outset, we understand that God's posture, his attitude towards us is love. It's agape. And so what Paul is saying is be rooted and grounded in Christ and draw in that love. Draw that into you. If you draw in that love, you will grow and you will be strong and you will flourish. And that is done by way of the Holy Spirit, he says. 
So really, the Holy Spirit is like John describes the Holy Spirit as water. The Holy Spirit is the, the, the way that we receive the love of Christ. Filled with Christ's love. And so when Paul then talks about God's glory, the richness of his glory, that word glory in Hebrew, in the Old Testament Hebrew, is Shekinah. Shekinah, the root of which means dwelling. So they understood that God's Shekinah, his glory, his presence, his dwelling was in the clouds. His dwelling, his presence was in the tent of meeting. His presence, his glory was in the tabernacle. It's this meaning of, of dwelling. And then this Shekinah is what I understand from scholars is to be this, this near close Jewish word for Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is saying, and, and now he's using the, the Greek word doxa for, for glory, which adds another dimension to, to Shekinah, this presence, this glory of, of the Lord, his presence. And now doxa adds this aspect of, of not, not just brilliance, but proclamation of praise. So what Paul is saying is let Christ's love dwell in you so that you can enjoy the richness of his presence, which then makes you... Praise the Lord. And this is what makes us human. This is what makes us human. Christ inhabiting each person through the Holy Spirit is the distinctive mark of what it means to be this new person, to be really human. Not violence, not anger, not vitriol, but Christ-like love. Being filled with his love. And you know what's interesting to me is that Paul says that Christ's love is so extraordinary so as to surpass what you know. It surpasses knowledge. That when you draw in Christ's love and you become and you start working towards this way, basically what he says is it's going to blow your mind. It's to a degree and to a level that is beyond what you can, of course, beyond what you can comprehend from a simple human perspective. That's actually how he finishes Ephesians 3, uh, 20 and 21. He says, now, to him who, by the power at work in us, is able to accomplish far more abundantly than all you could ask or imagine, to him be the glory, <laughs> to him be the dwelling, to him be the praise in the church. And in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, forever and ever, amen. Amen. I mean, do you, do you catch, at the end, Paul has to, at the, at the section of this letter, I think Paul's getting it. 
right? I think what's happening is he's praying and he's writing and he's here. He just busts out. You know, I read certain, um, I, I read certain theologians, I, uh, Carl Barton, the f- print is already fine, but then he's writing and he's technical. But then when he really gets it and the spirit is upon him, he starts preaching and he does, you know, this excursus. He steps aside and he preaches and the font gets even smaller and he's just intense. And I think that's what's happening here with Paul at the end of chapter three. He just busts it out. So I want to do an illustration this morning to kind of talk about how does this filling work, but a science. And I want to thank um, Professor T for uh, allowing me to use some of his um, uh, tools. I wanted to have Professor T here in the sanctuary this morning, but, uh, you know, with all these restrictions, um, uh, we, you're going to have to just settle for me. So... What Paul is saying is that to be, per, to, to be human means really drawing in uh, Christ's love. So drawing in, so I'm going to add some of this in here to uh, simulate Christ's love. So th- as we draw in Christ's love... We begin to change. We begin to, 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 to conduct our lives a different way. We actually change. It's not conceptual. You actually change. You transform. You become different than you were. No, but here's the challenge. The difficulty is that there are spiritual forces of wickedness at work in the world. And, of course, then there's also our own human Pensions, our own human sort of inclinations. And so some of that can come in. Our human inclinations, our human tendencies, spiritual forces of wickedness. And we allow that to start dropping into our lives. And the uh, love of Christ can begin to fade. And it just gets less and less because of our own inclinations. And before long, it's almost like it's not there at all. I know I, I struggle with this myself. I want the Christ's love to be in me. I don't want my own human fallen nature to take hold. I don't want spiritual forces of wickedness to dissuade me and make me just unchristlike. So we do need to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. We do need to pray for and ask for and desire. The Lord Jesus to fill us. To continue to bring his love, Holy Spirit, into our lives. This is what Paul is talking about. Oh, go ahead, Coop.
until until we're well until we're purple so being human is being purple being human is being purple and with that I want to pause and see if you have some questions that you want to send here this morning to us you can uh, test text or email to ask at semconline.com or you can write them in the uh, comments section of YouTube. So um, in keeping with the sort of uh, Laura's, uh, you know, kid, kids feature to, to break it down for those eight, nine-year-old kids, m- moms may be made of angel wings, clouds, string, being human, Likewise, is to be purple. G? All right. Um, yeah, just want to remind you again, send your, your questions to uh, ask at semconline.com. Now, if we don't get a chance to answer them now, we can answer them later during the week too, right? Yeah. So, um, okay, well, let's Lord, prime Lord, the pump here a little bit. Okay, so in, in this Ephesians passage, um, it talks about Christ's love. In fact, love three times and then power three times. Right. But it seems like Christ's power, um, or sorry, Christ's love, mm. our power. Mm. Um, what might that look like in mm-hmm. practical sense, you know, for Christ's love to be working its way out and giving us as followers of Christ power? Right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and so that, that word power uh, the, the Greek of that is dunamis. It's kind of like where we get dynamite from. And it too is associated with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Mm. Uh, here's the interesting thing though. When we hear that word, again, we can, we can allow the world to influence our understanding and definition of what power is. But God demonstrates a different power. He demonstrates a different power, and that is um, at the cross. So power is not a, it is not force, it's not coercion, it's not violence or manipulation. It actually means Christ's love is, the power is an ability to affect a change. And Christ's love makes, uh, uh, transforms people. So it is a love that transforms people towards something good. So a power, if I have a position in a, in a business and I use that authority or that office or that title to, to come over uh, somebody, that's not the kind of power. He's talking about a servant power. So when practically what that could look like again is, um, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, the outworking of the Spirit, the Spirit of love. So kindness, gentleness. Gentleness is exactly having might under control. Faithfulness. Those, uh, those would be, you know, practically a form of expressing kindness to somebody, being gentle with somebody, being faithful to somebody, having self-control would be acts mm. of love. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's good. So here Paul is praying for the saints to know and to understand the love of Christ. What keeps us from knowing Christ's love? Mm. Yeah, so, so that is good. What keeps us from knowing Christ's love? And so, see, this is really where we, um, where we enter into asking some really great questions. What keeps us from uh, knowing Christ's love? Well, let me ask. There, I, think it, uh, uh, I, I think there's two parts to this, and, and that is how does Christ love us? That's one part. And what keeps us from that? So what keeps us from being rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ? What is dis- distracting us or detracting us from being like a tree that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and His love? How does one do that? How do we get rooted and grounded in, mm. his, in Jesus Christ and His love? Practically speaking. So what keeps us from that, I would want to say... What is preventing us from being rooted and grounded? Mm. There aren't shortcuts to that. Scripture reading is being rooted and grounded. Scripture memory is being rooted and grounded. Mm. Fasting is being rooted and grounding. It says who's in charge. The Spirit's in charge, not your physical body. Mm. Worship services... Gathering together with other people, having communion together. What is it that is going to enable you to be rooted and grounded? And above all, it's consistency. Yeah. Right? You had made mention before of, of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And I wonder, when I hear that question, I hear of, uh, of the soils. Right. You know, and the different types of soil. That's right. I, I don't know if you, can, if you want to speak to that. Yeah. Uh, of just, uh, you know, how, how to keep that soil uh, fresh and receptive right, right. to Christ's love. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think, you know, people, you could say that I'm old school. Uh, people in different sort of disciplines, um, backgrounds might talk about the daily office or, or, or spending holy yes. noticing. Even holy noticing, so vital. In other words, do you notice when you are in your day? Do you notice how, uh, do you notice creation? Do you notice Mm. the presence of the Lord that is everywhere? Do you hear the birds? And does it make you think of the Lord when you see something brilliant? When you're with somebody, do you recognize the Holy Spirit in that person? Do you recognize the love of God that is there, that is beaming back at you? Noticing daily, consistently, persistently. Mm. That's, that's, the soil. Yeah, it's really okay. good. Anyone else? <laughs> Anyone else here? Well, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll finish with this. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask mm. if you notice what isn't in this passage about being human. Mm. What, is, what is obvious by its absence? What's obvious by its absence, what is not here, is external descriptors. Yeah. Okay? So being human isn't about uh, 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 a particular race. It's not about a description of being tall or short or wide or narrow. It isn't about gender. It's not about uh, 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 cognitive uh, abilities or anything like that. It's about the inner being. And no wonder the church can be diverse because all people can have a... a, a a presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and His love. And so I think what it really requires us when we think of this, being purple, uh, being human as being purple, then we begin to wonder about that love. How does the Lord love us? 
you know. Uh, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That was kind of like the golden rule. But then as one scholar said, he upgraded it. In John 13, when he said, uh, as I have loved you. So to love, but love, love even more specifically, as I have loved you. He upgrades the golden rule. So now we got to ask, how does the Lord love us? He accepts you for who you are, no matter what. Whoa! Hmm. He forgives. He sacrifices. I mean, so we start with that. I think, listen, um, start with being thankful. Come to the Lord, be thankful that He loves you, that He will forgive you of whatever you confess to Him. You repent, you turn from whatever that is, and you ask, He forgives you. And then as you draw that love into you, then your leaves start turning green, and you just start beaming that, and giving that, and sharing that. Mm. Mm. Now to Him who is able to do, by the power at work in us, is able to do, Abundantly mm. far more than we ask or think. Yeah. Right? Thanks, dude. Amen. Amen.